0: Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter if you're still on that stupid app, at Braden Gall.
1: Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan.
0: Really big show. Fun show planned today. Lots of news considering it's the middle of freaking June. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number one, Kyle Tucker. From the athletic covering all things Kentucky athletics. We even ask about the athletic director and the basketball coach during the football state of the union. Wow. Uh, for Can't the hold Kentucky us Wildcats. back. It's all lumped together, though, up there in Lexington, man. It's all lumped together. So we're going to talk with Kyle Tucker a little bit later on in our Kentucky state of the union, which means we only have one state of the union left,
1: which is. I already know <laughs> it.
0: It'll be the Vanderbilt Commodores. And the only reason it happened last is because <laughs> don't because, even do this no 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 no. because our guest who's going to come on is also a college baseball expert who will give us a college world series recap as well it was planned strategically Aaron. Braden's like, trying like to that. make
1: it nicer to say vanderbilt went last and blaming it on the college world series but really he put them where they're ranked in the sec
0: also i didn't that's also true but not that they're they're ranked last in the sec but you I did didn't not, do
1: it because of that
0: no, it was, was correlated,
1: to... but not causal. That's a, today's lesson. Look it up. Okay,
0: Sounds good. Uh, yeah. On the, So the 2024 schedules came out like last Wednesday. Uh, I, I wasn't really excited about them. We didn't talk about them much on the episode last week. And then they came on the show, like the TV show started. And I was like, oh, this is pretty fucking cool. So I got into it. We'll give you some of our thoughts on that. They've been covered a lot over the last week. So we'll just give you some some of our quick thoughts. Uh, a, a Two two headlines here. One about Nick Saban and one important headline that fans need to know about the Florida Gators. So we'll get into that, all of that today on the show. But the main topic, trap games. And Aaron already has a problem with the word trap games as a concept. So we're going to discuss what that means. And then we're going to yeah. go through every team in the SEC. And we're going to tell you, watch out for those trap games in 2023. This is this
1: Aaron already has a problem 90 seconds into the show. Can't yep. say we're surprised. <clears throat> it's
0: very normal. It's very standard. Yep. It's, uh, par for the course. It's on brand, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing if
1: not rate, consistent.
0: Re- rate, review, and subscribe. Check out the YouTube page. So a lot of you new folks who are hanging out with us on the YouTube page, we do appreciate you guys. Yeah. So share, sh- share, share the show.
1: <laughs> holy moly. I
0: think I did that last week too.
1: <laughs> I also haven't said holy moly instead of holy shit in years until then.
0: Yeah, well, you're getting older. It happens. Um, <laughs> Uh, at least it's not like Jeepers Creepers or something like that. That'd be bad. Uh, that, that would that would not be a good one. Okay. Um, trap games. Kentucky State of the Union with Kyle Tucker. 2024 schedules and some news and notes here. Uh, quickly, Nick Saban complaining. Uh, I think he did an interview with Joel Klatt on a podcast with Fox Sports about how his team should have made the playoff last year. I don't think we agree with that. Um, I don't agree with all the Twitter backlash that has taken place this week because everyone is screaming and yelling about how stupid Nick Saban is. I I think if if you take one second to think about it, you could argue that Alabama was a better football team than TCU was a better football team than Michigan. Maybe maybe they were better than Ohio State. Um, his rationale, his argument is, oh, I found out that you know we'd be favored over three of those teams in the playoff. Then maybe they didn't put us in, and I. I don't know. I think this is just Saban kind of being Saban here. He's, he's always posturing. He's always campaigning. I didn't really get that upset about it. I think people got way too worked up about his comments. Alabama was pretty good last year. They would have gotten into a 12 team playoff.
1: I don't think it's any shock that Nick Saban is always just campaigning to make sure his program is in the best possible position. And I do think that, you know, a lot of times that is uh, understandable because where they are, they do get harder I mean, I understand where he's coming from a lot of the time because they do end up with some of the harder like rivalries and situations and compared to other schools. But he's always going to campaign for his school and try to advocate no matter how good they are or if they're having an off year, which is all relative to Alabama. But that's what Nick Saban does. And that's part of what makes him a good coach. If he didn't do that, you'd be probably questioning him also.
0: And, And if you go listen to the entire interview, which, of course, no one does before they jump on Twitter and spew venom, is that it's it's really a, a lot more about like we have to be sort of flexible in our in our scheduling. We have to be able to adapt. We've got to have find a, create balance across the sport, which is very hard to do right now. Like it, it, you know, he goes into these really long. It's a long conversation. It's not just you can't boil it all down to Saban believes he should have made the playoff last year. Like and it, I it's, think, go ahead. It's just more complicated than that. That's all.
1: It is. And I think that when you're trying to achieve balance and you're one of the best teams in the conference, that means that you're uh, that uh, trying to achieve balance for a team like Vanderbilt or someone who sat at the bottom of the conference is going to mean that you're given more favorable games that you could potentially win to make things closer. When you're sitting at the top of the conference, isn't the opposite happening a lot of the time?
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, he 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 goes on to say basically like everybody wants to create parity, but it's like really hard to do. I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah. Um, the money is different. The dynamics are different at every different school. The investment in the athletes and the programs are different. Value is created for each athlete differently. Um, and then he he also talked about how like, well, they should have contracts. Athletes should have contracts. Like, And I that part, I don't like coaches have contracts, but they also break them a lot. I, but there's a buyout. There's a financial reason why you can't get out of the contract. And I think the NIL response to that is actually pretty, pretty nice. Like you can sign with this team. You could sign with Ole Miss. But the only way you make this money is if you do appearances at this bookstore in Oxford and you can't, if you transfer to Athens, you're not gonna be able to do appearances at the bookstore and therefore you sacrifice the money, which is sort of like a buyout for a coach's contract. So I I think it's more equitable than, than Saban's letting on, but either way it it got all blown out of proportion on Twitter as usual. So shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. uh, Before we get to 2024 schedules, trap games and Kyle Tucker uh, quickly, I wanted to make this note. To be positive on the show, Aaron, it's, it's always good to be positive. What is the biggest concern and issue with the Florida Gators under Dan Mullen and like moving forward? Like, what would you say fans were most upset about with Dan Mullen? This is, this is, a, this is an easy question.
1: Yeah, it, this feels like a trap.
0: <laughs> recruiting.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I think there's recruiting. And then I think once you get past that, like unity as a team and
0: culture. I knew you. I knew your brain would go too complicated. It's like no culture.
1: Culture's not that complicated. No, no, no. You... I,
0: I know, but you always go to like the nebulous, vague, like hard to define, hard to build thing, where it's like the average. Okay, top... well, you
1: gotta recruit kids, and then they have to like you to stay. That's Sorry, true. I'll say it in layman's terms.
0: But the roster is in worse shape than it's been in in a long time because they did not recruit under Dan Mullen. So, in light of that eight total commitments for the Florida Gators this week. They have now the number three rated recruiting class, according to 24 seven sports. They've landed three top 100 players, five, five stars. They have the number three quarterback in America committed already.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It doesn't mean they they have 16 total commits. It doesn't mean this is where they're going to end in December. It doesn't mean this is where they're going to end in February. It doesn't mean the Billy Napier solved all the problems, but if you're going to get a W you got to celebrate the W's and Florida right now Racking up W's on the recruiting trail right now, at least. So I
1: haven't go. I haven't gotten a chance to look and see where all of those recruits are coming from. Do you have any idea how many of them are coming from inside the state of Florida?
0: Uh I can probably get to that. Okay. That is quickly. a question.
1: <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, I'll vamp for a second. I think that that is I guess I have questions and comments. I know that that Billy Napier has been able to do a lot inside the program. Like they're doing facilities updates. He's fixing the culture. He is trying to build a staff around him. That is, you know, that, that has a home there. That's not just like a jumping off point. That is, that feels uh, like a solid culture. And that trickles down. That's why the coaching staff's important. Trickles down to the players, yada, right. yada, yada. Um, so I guess I'm curious, not only about what you're looking up right now, but also what you think is making it work.
0: Uh, DJ is the number one quarterback or their, their quarterback, the, the, the five star, the number three rated quarterback in the country He's from Texas. I'm asking why
1: people are coming there. Are you saying people are following the talent or,
0: well, I was going to, so the guys, they just landed like all this bunch of guys that they just landed. Um, uh, four star out of Mississippi, a four star out of Maryland, a four star out of Georgia, four star out of North Carolina, four star out of Georgia, uh, four star out of Florida. and... And actually that was back in May. So basically... All these commitments are, they're, they're, they're in the region, like another one out of Georgia, another one out of Georgia. So they've gone into Georgia. They got one out of Maryland this last week, a, a three-star. So that they're, they're, it is actually, strangely enough, none from the state of Florida. They have a couple of kids committed from Florida, but not this most recent run, but it's North Carolina, it's Georgia mostly and Mississippi, which are all pretty close uh, right. But no, that's a very interesting point. And I had not, I did not notice that, that they are not from, not one of those guys is from the state of Florida.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Cause I don't really remember exactly what was going on with the in-state recruiting base with, with Dan Mullen and how that fluctuated, but I need to look at that too. Maybe we can talk about it more next week when I've had a chance to dive in, but I think that's really interesting of just as these new coaches are coming in, what's happening with the in-state recruiting and how is that shifting? Um, yeah. And, you know, we can dive in further later, but I was just curious if you knew off the top of your head, like what was happening. And it sounds like a lot of them are coming from out of state, even as far North as Maryland. So, you
0: know, well, so that six of their 16 total commitments are from Georgia, which is, I mean, you right now, Georgia has to be a main supplier of talent to basically every team in the Southeast. Like you need to, Georgia has to be like, it's gotta be like your home state and then Georgia yeah, Or, or like your home state. And then Georgia and Florida, your home state, Texas and Georgia. You know what I mean? Like it has to be Texas, mm-hmm. Georgia, Florida, some combination of those three depending on where you're at, right? If Texas or A&M or Oklahoma, they need to be using Texas. If it's Florida, South Carolina, excuse me, South Carolina. If it's oh. Florida, <laughs> if it's Florida, South Carolina, Auburn or or Georgia, like they need to go into they need to go into Florida. So th- that'll be interesting to see what they do in the state. Uh, to your first question, like why is it working? I do think that Napier is a very it's the right word. He's a very ho- he has a- he's taking an extremely holistic approach to building a fr- a program. So he's building out like infrastructure, and he's building out personnel departments, and he's building out actual facilities, and like he's just building it all out to become this big machine. And yep. I think that's maybe that's what we're seeing is it's starting to pay off. Yep. Okay. With all you. right. Just wanted to point point that out. Good Georgia stuff. Well, or, I yeah. mean, good Florida stuff. Good uh, he even Florida you.
1: stuff. You got it.
0: I'm terrible. Now, that
1: answered my question. I think just um, moving in the right direction and doing it at a pace that makes sense, and it's not... Yeah. It, it, honestly, it hasn't taken long. I mean, if, if this if this is starting to work this year, that's that's a plenty quick turnaround for a new
0: coaching staff. It's, it's definitely something that they need. They need to finish... If they finish top five in recruiting, we have a very different conversation. They finish six and six and finish top five in recruiting. We're having a very different conversation about Billy Napier going into year three if they were six and six and finished 18th in recruiting. I know mm-hmm. that sounds stupid, but like it would be very different. It'd be a very different conversation. It would be um, all right. 2024 schedules. It was all were you excited? To, did you even know this was happening? Like I, I knew it was happening. I wasn't really that excited about it. And then the show came on SEC network at six o'clock, and I was like, honey, get the kids out of here. I gotta sit down and take notes. And like I was, I
1: did know, but it it's it still snuck up on me.
0: I was like genuinely excited. I but not until like the moment it happened. I was like, oh my god who's Texas going to play in the SEC? And I was like so fired up about it. it was... I know
1: there's a lot of other things going on. And then when it, it was just a pleasant surprise when it finally happened. So yeah, kind of, I'm glad you, your wife is able to get your kids out of the room so you could watch it. <laughs> they,
0: they had, they had porch time um, as we call it. Texas will play Florida, Georgia, Kentucky and Mississippi state at home. So obviously Florida and Georgia, two big ones there. They're going to play at AM, which is by far the most important game of the entire new arrangement. Texas at Texas A&M. I was there. I, I believe it was the last ever Southwest Conference matchup in Austin, Texas, before the Big Twelve, and it was like a fifty-one to fifteen Texas route of the Aggies. Like the
1: last time they played?
0: No, this was like in the nineties, oh, okay. like before they went to the Big Twelve. But that's the last. I was there my last year, would have been eighth grade in in Austin, and I just remember going to. I've been to three Texas Texas A&M games, and they're just so incredible. And thinking, I... of, and thinking about like the television buildup and the crowds around college station and the energy and like game day is going to be there. And it's going to be just like, it is going to be batshit crazy. What's the and date? They they haven't given out the, this is just the opponents. They haven't given up the, the, date.
1: have the dates. Yeah, yeah. And
0: again, remember this is all 2024. So no, I
1: know, but I just, but man, yeah, my calendar's going to get blocked off quick. I'm, I, I would love to go to that game.
0: Oh, it's so incredible. It's so incredible. The, Texas will also play at Arkansas. And then they'll are we play just here. talking about?
1: Are you going? Are you going in an order here? Or are We just talking about what we're excited about. Are you going through? I was just giving you first? Texas.
0: I was going to give Texas and Oklahoma, just the two new ones. Um okay. th- Then they'll play at Vanderbilt uh, as well. Oklahoma will host Alabama, which is incredible. Yep. They're they're going to host Tennessee, and oh yep. by the way, Heupel. former Oklahoma quarterback Josh Heupel. Uh, they're going to host South Carolina. They will go to think about these games: Oklahoma at LSU. Yes, ma'am. Yep. Uh, Oklahoma at Auburn is awesome. Oklahoma play at Mizzou. They play at Mizzou and in the Grove against Ole Miss. Just oh, man,
1: That's awesome. That even even with all of the discussions we've had, I haven't actually until this very moment pictured yeah. Oklahoma in Oxford.
0: Isn't that going to be great?
1: Mm-hmm. It's great. Yep. Um,
0: Talk so about here...
1: very fun, very enthusiastic fan bases that can kind of just hold their own no matter what happens.
0: Dude, it, so Oklahoma, because every team plays either Oklahoma or Texas, every team in the all SEC. Right. Um, but like the big games, you get Bama, Tennessee, LSU, Auburn. Those are four big, big brands in the SEC playing Oklahoma. Then you get Florida, Georgia, Texas A&M, and I guess Arkansas, which I guess is a big brand playing against Texas. But but it's a really important game for Texas and Arkansas historically. But here's what's interesting to me about all this. And this kind of will lead me into my first point about the new schedules. And just how different they are from a divisional standpoint. So, South Carolina is not going to play Tennessee, Florida, or Georgia. Yeah, they, they have weird. played Tennessee, Florida, Georgia every single year of their entire SEC lives.
1: Yeah, it right. dates like when is 92. Yeah.
0: And they, 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 they've Georgia, played...
1: South Carolina, I think it's weird.
0: And, and so's Tennessee. So's Florida, uh, South Carolina. They're, they're, they're not, but they're going to play LSU, Ole Miss, Bama, A&M, and Oklahoma. It's just so weird.
1: It is it's just like getting. It's just getting used to it again. Yes. And how ha- how do you feel like the overall? How are people taking this overall? You live again. We talk about this a lot. Braden lives much more in the Twitter gutters than I do. I, so how do you feel like the overarching reaction is? Or people like excited enough about some things that they can lay off about others? Or
0: I don't know. I don't live in the sewers as much anymore. I'm taking a uh, like what some do? some mental health. Um, I'm trying to break up with my phone and and my addiction with my phone. Um, But I think Bama, Georgia, and Oklahoma probably have the three hardest. But like, they're also the three most successful brands. So like, I don't know why, like, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're an Arkansas fan, you're probably, you love the the setup because you're going to play all your old rivals. You know, you play in a bunch of teams that that you have rivalries with in the, in, you know, Ole Miss and, you know,
1: LSU, uh, Missouri. Yeah. Like
0: you're, you're playing like a lot of your rivals. Uh, Texas A&M is going to get Texas and LSU at home. That's awesome.
1: That is awesome.
0: And they and they don't play Georgia or Alabama. So if you're an A&M fan, you're probably like that. Um, a Georgia at Alabama is tremendous. Just that. Thank you for that game. Thank you for p- for giving us Georgia and Alabama. Yeah, in, like have to wait season, to the
1: postseason for that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. Um, they have only played four times in the regular season, like in the last twenty years. They played a bunch in the postseason. To your point, but again. The newness of the schedules is what I find to be the most interesting. So, for example, Texas and Kentucky have played one time ever. That is a conference game next year. Wow. Texas and Mississippi State have played four times ever. That is a conference game next year. How about this? Vanderbilt and Texas have actually played 10 times.
1: Really? When? The last one
0: was 1928. 1928.
1: Oh, the last one was 1928?
0: Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah.
1: That was like, you know, just a little bit after Tennessee helped Texas like become a state.
0: <laughs> well done. Uh, South Carolina, I guess
1: a good bit, a good bit after that. But...
0: South Carolina is going to play at Oklahoma in an SEC game. They have never played a football game.
1: See, that to me, I feel it could develop into something That's really wild. cool. I don't know why those two make sense to me, but that just that could be really fun.
0: I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me why you're.
1: No, I like it because I just feel like, I don't know. I guess I kind of picture them being in that, uh, you know, Oklahoma's had some insane years of football and has been really, really close to the top, but also kind of has, you know, fallen back and sat in a little bit of a lower category. And I feel like those two are kind of on. I mean, if they were both on the up and up, it'd be really freaking cool.
0: Oklahoma has played Alabama six times total. Everybody knows the one that happened like 20, 23 years ago, but like they've only played six times total. Now it's an sec game. They've only played Tennessee four times total. We all remember the Baker Mayfield game in overtime in Knoxville, but they've only played four times total ever. Now it's an sec game. Zero times. Oklahoma's played South Carolina three times. They've played LSU. One of those was in the playoff. One of those was in the BCS national title game. And then they played one time out before that in like 1948 or some shit Oklahoma and Auburn think about that game Oklahoma at Auburn great football game that sounds like such good awesome Saturday two times ever in the history of the sport have they played and now it's a conference game it Ole Miss they've only played one time ever that was 1999 Oklahoma and Ole Miss so I just it, to me it's just like the, the number one biggest takeaway is to appreciate the new appreciate the like the the new norms and sort of the bizarro 2024 scheduling, because it all could be sh- shifted and changed again in 2025.
1: And honestly, there's, there's enough time to talk about things and television that it probably will,
0: oh, but for sure. we'll
1: get for to sure. see what works and what people really latch on to and what makes sense. And yeah. then they will change it all because of dollars.
0: Uh, I don't know if there's any other games. Uh, Vanderbilt got an absolutely like absurdly difficult draw. Like it's just like no. Is it just
1: because no one cares about, I I gotta say us right here because it just hurts. It's no, just because no us. one cares about us anymore. Is that where we are? I I
0: I you know I live in Nashville. I know a lot of people that care. Um, but I think on a national scale, schedule... you know,
1: fans that care. You don't know people that are doing the scheduling. That yeah.
0: Do. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, like Clark Lee, God bless you. They're, you're gonna play Alabama, Texas, Tennessee, LSU, Auburn. Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri,
1: Vanderbilt. We did something bad in a past life.
0: <laughs> uh, I guess enjoy just... the next enjoy the next two seasons of Clark Lee. I don't know. Like he, that's a fireable contract. Uh, fireable schedule is what that is. So yeah, it,
1: and it's it, yes. I, I don't have any follow up response to that. It is a fireable, <laughs> schedule, no doubt.
0: Uh, I don't like that we didn't get LSU, Texas, but I'm okay with that. Like they're getting a lot of. Re- we're getting Georgia and Florida at Texas. That's pretty cool, and we're getting. Texas at A&M the Georgia Georgia was scheduled to play at Texas A&M and now they are not which means Georgia still has yet to play a game in College Station as an SEC member of like with A&M as an SEC team it's never happened yep They, they joined in 2012
1: I mean it would really really be nice to see Bobby Petrino and Kirby Smart oh in that matchup
0: but from your, from your mouth to his ears man
1: but I'm we working. didn't get it because we can't working. always get what we want
0: <laughs> thank you keith and mick um <laughs> all right well that i just wanted anything else you want to add on the new scheduling i know it's been out for a week so people have kind of digested it but i thought we, we kind of have to talk about it so
1: yep i mean right. that's no i mean i think we definitely covered it i'm ready to do trap games. I feel like this conversation is, I'm, I'm very excited for a lot of these. I do think we missed a few. I don't think it's like detrimental what we missed. And I think it's all going to change in a year. So yeah, I'm, yes, I'm is. all set.
0: And remember, it's not, it, it. it's not the permanent rivalries yet. So for now yeah. you get Florida, LSU, Florida, Tennessee, Georgia, Tennessee, LSU, Ole Miss and Bama LSU. Those all were maintained in 2024. All of those right now are not scheduled necessarily to be on the permanent schedule when they actually go to nine games potentially so just keep that in mind um otherwise let's we got uh, kyle tucker going to give us a kentucky state of the union uh but let's dive into some trap games here in 2023 okay so when we sat down to uh prep the show as as you you want to do um (laughs) you 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 and i kind of like had a moment where we said well what exactly is a trap game and you kind of looked at me and you said i think some people are using it in different, in different
1: ways. ways. That's so I, right. want,
0: I want to know, first of all, how, like, how do you define it? And then I'll give you what I think. But I want to hear what you say first.
1: Well, I, I think what initially a trap game was supposed to mean was it's something that's easily overlooked because maybe it came after a larger rivalry or must win game. And then you kind of oversighted it because it was you're coming off of something that you really thought mattered or determined eligibility in the postseason, or is a long-term rival, or you blew it with last season, and it's, you know, it hurts too bad, and all that. I do think that, like, now, sometimes going through, because I, I mean, I'll look at and see what other people are saying, just so we can respond to it, and be like, so-and-so said this, or people are saying this, and that's not really accurate, so we can kind of, like, you know, we try to, like, debunk things that are spreading around, again, the Twitter sewer, and I think people are using this, sometimes it's just, like, an upset and it's not the same thing it's not supposed to be
0: okay so uh, but it how, is how, it how...
1: is an upset okay it's like the trans it's like one is like a square is a rectangle but not all rectangles yeah, are squares uh,
0: I, I. that's exactly what i was going to say It's like all upsets are trap games but not all trap games are upsets is all that...
1: law lo- all losses in trap games are upsets but not all upsets are trap games
0: okay Okay. Does that make
1: sense? So, like, I, I you think could, so. Yeah. The very first game of the season, if South Carolina came out and beat Georgia, that would be an upset. But unless it came after Alabama and Georgia blew it only because they were focused on Alabama and then lost to South right. Carolina, that would be a trap game.
0: Right? Yeah. I, I think, I think you're right. I think all, so it's like all games in which you are favored and you lose are upsets, but not all of those are trap games. Right. Okay. I think, I, right. so I'm with you. So, your definition is sort of how I view it as well. A trap game is like a team that you overlook to some degree, or that you assume. Like this is why some of these teams it's really hard to do this exercise. Like bec- we've talked a lot about how how strong the middle class is in this conference.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: look at Arkansas, for example. Like look at Arkansas as a schedule. Now we're going to get to them like number two here, so we can get to them if we want to just start with Arkansas. If you look at Arkansas' schedule, like they're not an elite enough team or a bad enough team to really have like glaring upset alert kind of situations. And like, I could look at a lot of these games and like what I wrote down was Missouri at the end of the season in the final week of the season at home, because they will probably be favored in that game. And it's mm-hmm. at home, which means they might over, even though they play them every year in crossover, like maybe they, they're, they're nine and two or eight and three, and they've had a really good year. And they just think they're going to waltz into the final game of the season and beat what could be a kind of sneaky good Missouri team. Like, I, I didn't have a lot of trap games on Arkansas' schedule well, because because they're the trap game for everybody else.
1: That's what I'm saying. I think that middle tier makes it really hard to define the trap games right. because it's not, for, for all the reasons you just said. But I also think it's not only right when it comes off a larger rivalry. God, that word is so hard. I, I love rivalry game. It's, I mean, it never, it never gets better for me. It's one of those things I can't improve on. It's not necessarily just when it comes after those. It's also like, are you, did you count all the W's on your schedule? And you're like, oh yeah, we can get to six in bowl eligibility, but then is Missouri going to keep you out their very last game of the season? If some of those middle tier games don't fall your way and you're all of a sudden sitting five and seven and you kind of like, oh yeah, we're bowl eligible team. Well, you still got Missouri and yeah. No, you're not, because they, they could be defining or game changing in some way for your postseason play.
0: Like the, the- only one, I, the only other one. So here's an example on Arkansas schedule. They play they play Western Carolina, Kent State and BYU before they play at LSU and Texas A&M and Ole Miss and Alabama for huge, critical rivalry games, especially the first two LSU and A&M. Huge rivalry games. Mm-hmm. BYU at home to me is a trap game. If you believe that BYU is good enough to challenge Arkansas and maybe they're not, maybe there's, they have no chance. Maybe Arkansas is a 17 point favorite and they win by three touchdowns. But if you're trying to, to define what a trap game could be, it's you start two and 0 you're overly confident and you're looking ahead at your road trip to LSU. And See? then all, and all of a sudden, yeah. all of a sudden a bunch of grown ass men with families and wives and children who are 23 years old from BYU show up in Vietnam and they take it to you. That would be a trap game. I feel like imperfect. If you're trying to look for like the definition of a trap game, I yeah, think. So I th- think
1: because that's coming. It can go either way. Becoming before a big game and you oversee it because you're looking ahead, or it can come after a huge game because you're just trying to get through it and you haven't. And I guess you don't really want to think too far forward. Most coaches try to get teams from saying like, you know, don't think about LSU. We got be we got BYU, but they're seeing be- the schedule.
0: They're we, human we, beings. They are I human mean, human beings.
1: I don't know if I would say. I don't know if I would say b y u as much. I think that all three of those they can go into clear-headed and hope to be three and o. and then and then LSU is, you know
0: I, right. but the the point is that b y u is clearly the best of those three true, and it's and it's right before lSU. So it's hard to keep a nineteen or a twenty year old from like paying attention when you're when you're a twelve point favorite and you're supposed to win the game at home. It's easy to overlook that team,
1: Sam Pittman but, will keep him in line.
0: Well, maybe. Uh, and then there's the other one, which is after the big rivalry game, which is sometimes called the letdown alert. You know, let mm-hmm. letdown alert. The only other one I wrote down for Arkansas was Mississippi State because it happens in between al- road trips to Alabama and Florida. And if they're pretty good at that point, then maybe they overlook Mississippi State. But, like, I don't think so. I think mi- Missouri, I think they could be waltz. If they have a really great year, they could waltz into that Missouri game feeling overly confident and maybe Missouri's better than you think, and Missouri gives them a game. I think Missouri could be the one that sneaks up on them. Otherwise, BYU's like the only one I wrote down.
1: I think if what happens with Missouri, what we think is going to happen with Missouri happens with Missouri, Missouri will start to sneak up, quote-unquote, on people less and less throughout the course of the season. Yes. I think they will be, if if we're looking at Missouri right now, like could they be sneaky? Yes, but if what happens with that team and Eli Drinkwitz, which you've been preaching about, over and over and over again and i think you're right that they might not be sneaky at that point but right now looking at it it could be
0: no i think that's right i have missouri down as a trap game for a lot of other people
1: yeah Uh, yeah it was hard i had to stop picking that so i wouldn't be boring
0: uh so so let's start with alabama let's go alphabetical here and we'll start with alabama because alabama does have a bunch of trap games right Mm -hmm. alabama Uh, to me and i don't know if it's like Again, you have to assume things are going right for the other team and, and poorly for your team, in, in theory, if you're an Alabama fan. To me, it's Kentucky on November 11th on the road. You're going to be playing LSU the week before. You've got the Iron Bowl in two weeks. Like I don't know how it can be one of the big games. I, I don't think Texas is not a trap game. They almost beat them last year. Yeah. Texas AM and M on the road is like one of the most important games of the season. I don't think that could be a trap game.
1: That's a difference between like close and trap.
0: Yeah, like if everyone has it circled, it can't be a trap game. Right. Who'd you right. put for? What'd you put for Alabama?
1: I mean, it's hard. N- you you kind of have to just always assume that Alabama Auburn is. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, but on the same front, I also think that. It doesn't, it, it could, it can't, I don't know, maybe, maybe if something crazy happened, like the Hugh Freeze factor with Ole Miss, I don't think it's going to happen, but trying to waltz in as Alabama, you're hoping to like come into your schedule, you know, potentially they'd love to come in four or five and oh, and then the first challenge be Texas A&M. But there's a good chance that something, some kind of adversity, will hit them before that. Do I think Ole Miss is going to win that game? No, but I do think it's really dangerous to look at your schedule and say, "Oh yeah, we could go five and and0 First test is going to be A and M because it's still the SEC. So, which
0: game are you circling as the tr- the biggest trap game for Auburn? Well,
1: Alabama? you well you took it. It's it's definitely Kentucky. I,
0: but I think, I'm trying I the, to make
1: a case for something else. Auburn's always there. It's a rivalry. But it's
0: too big. It's too big of a game. I think. But but maybe. To your point, if Auburn is like six and five, mm-hmm. but like even then, maybe your maybe your players like take a breath and overlook them a little bit. But it's certainly but it's the been, last
1: game of the season. And it's, it's like it's
0: the freaking Iron Bowl. It can't be a trap, right?
1: Game. That's that's the difference.
0: The, maybe like, maybe Ole Miss at home. That's
1: what I, that's what I said.
0: Maybe Ole Miss at home. I I would say Mississippi State on the road. You've acted before,
1: like you just <laughs> no no no. You
0: you well, you example. didn't say that. You didn't say that specific I word, said, but I... I said I, the old
1: Miss Hugh Freeze thing. If you think you're going to be 3-0 and and you look at Ole Miss and you're like... Yeah, oh, but he's gonna gonna the coach losing. at Auburn.
0: I thought you were talking about Auburn.
1: Well, oh, I see what you're saying.
0: <laughs> I thought you were talking about Auburn because you said Auburn. Okay,
1: that's true. I kind of had to. <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected. No,
0: it's all right. But so if they were switched, actually, if Ole Miss was on the road the week before A&M, that's where I'd be like, watch out because you're mm-hmm. looking ahead to A&M. You know Jimbo Fisher's a big game. A&M has played Alabama so hard. That's why you can't circle that game. Right. So I, th- I think I Ole Miss at home, they, the problem is, is they just dominate Mississippi State. Like Alabama just owns Mississippi State, and I just don't know how, even on the road, even like, they could get real up to beat Lane Kiffin at home, right? Beat Lane Kiffin at home. Then they got to get real up to beat A&M, and in between, they struggle against Mississippi State. That makes sense as a trap game. But they just crush Mississippi State like every year of Saban's career. So it's like I know
1: if there's one before AM, it's it's Ole Miss.
0: I I think that's right, and I don't think Kentucky's frankly good enough to beat them. But I'm trying to find like oh, right after LSU, maybe there's a letdown on the road against what is could be a very good Kentucky team. But that's State. the
1: definition. You did. I mean, you did exactly. your job. That's exactly. what you were trying to find.
0: All right, Auburn. Who you got? Auburn. I I got one real nice. You go first. For you. you
1: go first on Auburn.
0: Auburn at Vanderbilt.
1: What?
0: <laughs> yep, at Vanderbilt. I mean, I'll take it. Cuz they're going to go to Arkansas and then the New Mexico State and then Alabama. And it's a must-win game, but they could absolutely overlook it because they're going to play uh, they're going to play AM, Georgia, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. And then you have to look ahead to Arkansas and in between a little road trip to Vanderbilt, and Auburn is in my mind not good enough yet to overlook anybody. Vanderbilt beat some good teams last year. They're clearly headed in the right direction. At Vanderbilt is my trap game for Auburn. How about that?
1: This was one of those. This was one of those really hard ones for me because it's like I, I don't know if there's a better answer sure. than that. And I think a lot of that has to do with the question marks I still have around Auburn. I think you have more confidence in them and what they're going to be able to do right out of the gate than I do. And I'm very prepared to stand corrected on that because. I know what the possibility with the new coaching staff could be, but this was the hardest one for me to find an actual like trap game. Cause they're not good it, enough.
0: They're not good enough to overlook anybody.
1: They're not good enough to overlook anybody. Right. And then there's a huge discrepancy between the teams that they play like a Samford and it's like Samford, AM, and like Vanderbilt, Alabama, like New Mexico. it's like, there's, there's such harsh discrepancy between the different levels of the teams that they're playing. That I guess if you had to define one it'd be Vanderbilt. But I would say, I still, right now, have a question mark next to Auburn. That's why I told you to go first.
0: <laughs> I have a question mark next to Florida. Next, it says oh, it says do? it says none question mark. Again, no they're, trap games. They're non-conference. God bless. Lord have mercy. Unbelievable. Uh, I'm coming off a little bit of a. Uh, a weekend father's day bender and i'm, I'm maybe not be 100 100 uh you had
1: a father's day bender
0: well it, we're right in the middle of trap games here I'll, I'll explain why i have a weird voice after our interview with kyle tucker how about that okay if i can get there um no like you're at utah in the non-conference no i mean no chance that there's like you you're a 10-point underdog in that game. You're yeah, you're, you're not overlooking
1: that. It's right. a Thursday night. Very first, one of the very first games of the season. And it's uh, yeah, there's no uh, way that's
0: overlooked again. I wrote Vanderbilt down at home. Cause that's the only time that they might overlook a team. I don't at Kentucky's a big game at South Carolina is a big game because they beat the tar out of them last year. I mean, Tennessee's a huge game. Georgia's a huge game. Ar- maybe Arkansas at home because you have Georgia. If Arkansas struggles and has a bad year, and you have to play Georgia and LSU, and in between Georgia They're and LSU, in between, yep, yep. you host Arkansas at home. Maybe that's your spot where you you get beat at home by a team that you're favored over. Maybe
1: that's what I had, just because there is strong like strong competition okay. on the on the front and the back of that, and it's kind of towards the end of this. Well, no, I mean, I guess you have a few games left after that. But the only other thing, which wouldn't be a traditional trap game, is if it, it's still not though. Like, I mean, I guess you could. Bet- you're never going to overlook Kentucky as Florida at this point. Maybe a different version of Florida, a different Florida team. But and you're not going to a different, and a different o- Kentucky. and a different Kentucky, but there's really,
0: yeah. I, I mean,
1: be. you got Tennessee two weeks prior, but that's not enough. You still have Charlotte in between, and then you you're going to have time to focus on Kentucky. It's not going to sneak up on you. So if there is one on Florida's schedule, it's Arkansas. I I, th-
0: I think that's fair. I think I think that's probably fair. Um, what's what about Georgia? Let's move on to Georgia here. Georgia. Um so I wrote down I actually wrote down 3 different ones and they all sort of have question marks next to them. But what I want to know you you have to go first this time.
1: God, I wrote down multiple ones too. Good. The, so part of me wants to say I would say maybe Auburn as a program.
0: That's what I wrote down but, Auburn.
1: But there is time for them to address that because their schedule goes – it won't be sneaky. It could be upsetting and maybe a trap, but it's not because they aren't going to have time to see it coming because they've got UT Martin, Ball State, South Carolina. Obviously, they're not going to overlook that after having those first two. It's not a Uh, a gimme, but they'll focus on it.
0: Outside of a road trip to Tennessee – couldn't you argue that every single game is a trap game for Georgia and the only way they even lose any of them is if the entire team overlooks the game? Yes. Like in a weird way?
1: Yeah, it's when you're that, when you are where Georgia is right now, the trap right. is, what does that mean?
0: It's every night. It, or it's, your trap is set every day, every weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Florida's, it, Florida's too big of a game for the two fan bases and the two coaching staffs to, 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 to for me...
1: It's to, off-site to after call it a, a buy like
0: yeah offsite
1: after an open spot in the schedule like it's it's not going to be that at,
0: at tennessee you cannot call it a trap game if it's the toughest game on your regular season schedule in theory you That's can't the call thing. that a trap this is game.
1: where trap this is why you cannot use there it's are certain upset, it's teams upset teams alert you should le- yeah yeah you should leave certain teams out of your trap journalism because some teams don't have a <laughs> trap game trap Tra- Trap like you're running Tennessee
0: around is, running around town journo trapping people. You don't
1: have to <laughs> pick one for every single team. And I think that's where like that's where the term gets misused is like it, Georgia doesn't what, have a trap game. Anything it, that goes wrong for Georgia is not gonna be good.
0: Here's what I'll throw out there. What's up? November eleventh. You're gonna play Florida two weeks earlier. You're gonna play Missouri, and then you have to go to Tennessee the following week. Ole Miss at home. Maybe. I don't think anyone's going to be Georgia. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm very clear on this.
1: That was Ole Miss it, away. I would feel more.
0: Inclined I agree. To say I agree. That. But but if you're trying to find one here, if Ole Miss is good and the quarterback hits and it's Jackson Dart or whoever it is, and all of a sudden the defense is better with with Pete Golding, the whole thing could be clicking right then about that time. Now, it, it, if that's the case, then they're not going to overlook them. But if Tennessee's really good. In theory, you could you could catch Georgia players looking ahead to the next week, the road trip to Tennessee, and maybe Ole Miss plays some crazy, out of their mind game. Bo Wallace, the ghost of Bo Wallace, comes walking out that door, and they <laughs> and they force five turnovers inside the forty yard line, and Ole Miss wins against Georgia. I, I otherwise they're all trap games for Georgia, and probably won't happen. So agreed. All right, Kentucky, Kentucky.
1: God, we said a couple things in sync today. That's not yeah. like us.
0: Yeah, it's very. It's very I smart. had
1: a, I had a pretty clear answer
0: on this. Oh, one. then I want you to go. South Carolina. Ooh, at South Carolina.
1: At South Carolina after Bama, and it kind of like, like sets up like last season's home loss to Mizzou for South Carolina. I mean, I, I. This this is to me the game that stands out. You got Rivalry Week the next week. That was my best time I said rivalry yeah, all day about that. Yeah, the you way.
0: said it like four times today. Good
1: job. But not well. Like that was the only time it was fine. It's after Alabama. I mean, as Kentucky, you know, even though we know as like a population, is Kentucky gonna be Alabama? Probably not. That's not what a player or coach's mentality is going into the Alabama game. Everybody wants you will always wanna you're gonna get everybody's best if you're Alabama. To me, that South Carolina is the one that sticks out just because of where it falls. It falls in between rivalry week and it's after Alabama.
0: Yeah, it wasn't as good. Um, I know. I I, I had telling. South Carolina written down, but they were my third one. Hmm. But I do have them written down. And in part, here's a weird angle on all of this: the fi- the fact that Mark Stoops and Shane Beamer clearly do not like each other. I feel like is part of like why that maybe isn't a trap game. Like South Carolina went into Lexington last year and beat them. Was the animosity there? And then, and then Shane, Beamer, Shane Beamer talked all kinds of shit about it, you know. <laughs> and and if you win, you get to talk shit. That's how it works.
1: You're right. It's I on wrote, the radar for other reasons.
0: So I wrote down at Vanderbilt in week number four because it's before the Florida home game. Florida at home is a huge game for Kentucky. Huge, huge, huge game. And they lost to Vanderbilt last year, and now they're going to Vanderbilt this year. So just want to point that one out. And then the other one is Missouri because it's after Georgia and before Tennessee.
1: Now that's Where, a good one that I, I overlooked that game. That makes sense to me. I will say when it comes but, to but, Vanderbilt,
0: go ahead. go ahead. The argument on Missouri is just the, the argument against my case, I guess on Missouri is that they're always playing in close games, right? So like they won't overlook them, but maybe that's why they always play in close games. Cause they're overlooking Missouri because they're right. getting up for Georgia one week. Then they play Missouri. Then they have to get up for Tennessee at home. Tennessee at home is a huge game for Kentucky. Right. And I don't think
1: – no. I'm going to let you finish your rant. I keep interrupting you today.
0: No, no, no. Say, I mean, I uh, sometimes I just say uh, conjunct- conjunctions just to, like, fill fill dead space, you know.
1: Schoolhouse rock. <clears throat> the Because of where it's nestled, yes. In general, does Kentucky overlook Missouri? No, because that game plays closely. Almost always, at least in recent history because of where it's nestled. Yes, I will say I do think that sometimes even with a big game after. So when you're looking at the schedule and you're like, okay, you got ball, say, Eastern Kentucky, Akron, and then you have at Vanderbilt and then Florida. I do think that those games, when you have zero losses leading up to it, I think there's always concentration on can we go? Oh, and two or sorry can we go 2 and 0 can we 4-0. go 3 and 0 can yeah. we go 4 and 0 and then can we go into florida at like can we beat florida and go 5 and 0 so i do think that sometimes those the games that are on the front end of the schedule where there haven't been any losses yet don't yep. get overlooked like yep. they would if Vanderbilt was a little bit later oh, cuz they're I like let's go 5 and 0 and get it saying. out of florida with that kind of momentum and- the other that, thing so that's is that's why I think Vanderbilt wouldn't get overlooked as much as maybe it normally would.
0: And that's maybe true. Also Vanderbilt beat them last year, as I mentioned. So like when you, when you lose the previous year to somebody, like you mm-hmm. kind of remember that shit. So like, I, that's why, I mean, I guess that's a
1: hard one too, but yeah.
0: But I, but to me, I to me at Vanderbilt right before Florida, Missouri right before Tennessee and South Carolina after Bama and before Louisville, Louisville. are all, are all kind of like right in that wheelhouse. Uh, LSU, LSU, this was interesting. LSU schedule is, Sneaky tough, but like laid out well, I feel like. Um I, I wrote down at Mississippi State in week three, mm-hmm. which which leads into the Arkansas rivalry game. And then I wrote down, of course, at Missouri. Um yeah, I wrote that because, down too. Because if they beat Florida State, if they beat, which, which is a top 10 game, a huge game, if they beat Florida State, beat Arch Rival Arkansas, beat Art beat Archrival Ole Miss and they are riding into Missouri. They're either the most confident team and they're going to be a playoff caliber team and they're going to destroy Missouri or we find out that they've overlooked Missouri altogether because then they got Auburn the next week. So Missouri is a lot of people's trap game this year.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, it is. And I think also Missouri's coming off of what's definitely a projected win against Vanderbilt um and I guess it could sneak up. I I do think, again, like we talked about, the further we get into the season, I think the less Missouri will be overlooked unless things unless they have a slow start. If Missouri has a slower start than we think, which again, we're I guess we're gonna look at their schedule next.
0: Two, 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 two Two away. Yep.
1: Yep. Um if they get off to a slow start and they just have to get some things in order, like they just got some kinks to figure out. People are like, Oh, Missouri is Missouri. Isn't that good. Like there was too much hype around Missouri. Like they're not as good as we thought, but Eli and his, his guys are just kind of trying to tweak some things. And then, because sometimes it doesn't take a ton of tweaks for everything to change. Like you got some situations going on the line or whatever, and you make a few changes and all of a sudden, like you jump up, you jump up to a different level that more than people think that you can. So maybe if they have a slow start, but I think at that point in the season, it's going to be if not four, very smart to overlook Missouri.
0: If Missouri loses to Kansas State and they're four and one, that would be very easy to overlook if you're LSU because that means they're probably not ranked. It means they're you know you're probably a heavy favorite on the road. Uh, but we'll get to Missouri in a second here. One more for LSU. I want to throw out at you. They play the Florida Gators. At I was going to say Florida
1: right after Alabama. Alabama. Yep.
0: So my question for you, because it's at home, my question for you is, is the rivalry too big between Florida and LSU for it to be an overlook? Or, because they're coming off what is a monstrous battle for the SEC West against Alabama, that all of a sudden they're at home, they've been sleeping in their own beds in Baton Rouge, and they take Florida for granted, I absolutely think that could be a trap game for LSU.
1: I don't think that there's ever going to be a lack of inner energy and emphasis on playing Florida or LSU. But I do think that if the LSU Alabama game is close the week prior on an individual player level, there can be uh, a letdown. No, I just think, I think guys in close games on an individual player level take risks Like if they're close to beating Alabama, I think guys individually could put themselves in like jeopardizing physical situations Oh, okay. to try to make the difference in that game of like you lowered your head to make that hit and you shouldn't have. You're trying to make a statement
0: after the loss.
1: Yeah. Or or you're trying to or you're trying to solidify the win because you're like, holy shit, we might beat Bama. Let's do anything we can to make okay. it happen. Okay. Not saying that that's an outrageous for LSU because I think that they have the talent to do that. But I think we don't really talk about that that much. We talk about it as a team, but guys on an individual player level are, you know, can make riskier moves and do stupid things in the moment from adrenaline yep, or whatever, that's that's and true. then you might put yourself in a a bad physical state for Florida, which I guess could potentially make it a little bit trappier.
0: Yep. Than Yep. usual. Uh, all right, Mississippi State. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. So I, because again, when you are Mississippi State and I am picking you seventh, you can't really overlook anybody. I think the team they're going to over, the potentially overlook, is Arizona in the non-conference in week two. Jaden Delara is a really good quarterback. Arizona is trending in the right direction. They went out there and handled their Mississippi State did handle their business last year with relative ease. That Arizona team is better this year. And mm-hmm. I, I, if if they haven't figured out the new coaching staff and the new offense and the new personnel pieces and every play, like I just that is a dangerous spot to overlook a non-conference opponent, even if you know them pretty well. And I still think they're going to win Mississippi State, but there's not many games on the schedule. Like maybe I mean, is Kentucky South- and Auburn Car- like I don't
1: it's South Carolina nestled in between LSU and Bama to me.
0: But like, again, you're not, you're supposed to lose to LSU and Bama. I know you kind of have to be up for South Carolina and know that that's like your only good chance to win in that stretch. I don't, that's I know, hard, but that's not really how hard. they think though. No, I know you're right. I know
1: they just want it. They're like, what if we can upset this? What if we can pull this off? I think our thinking is we're more logical than, than coaches and players are when they're like, what, if? what if we can pull this off? And
0: yeah. Yeah, that I, makes sense. I, I, you're 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 right. We're not thinking about it that way. Um, all right, we're Ms. thinking
1: about like the what makes sense. And then yeah, like you're gonna about, lose. Like, what what will the, like how <laughs> f and sweet would that be if ESPN like on Monday was talking about us knocking off LSU? You know, <laughs> right,
0: right. And then you overlook South Carolina. No, right. that's absolutely that's absolutely correct. You beat LSU at home. All of a sudden. You definitely overlook South Carolina. That is absolutely. What oh happens. yeah, yeah, yeah. No question about that. You're
1: right. That it depends on what happens with LSU.
0: Uh, that's a perfect way to put it. Uh, because if you lose, like we think of it, and we go, oh, that's a loss to LSU and a loss to Bama, so they better get up for South Carolina. they are not
1: thinking like that's that. That's not how they're
0: thinking. No. Uh, all right, Mizzou. Uh, at Vanderbilt is tricky. I, I'm going to put Vanderbilt on here for a lot of teams, especially in the middle tier, because Vanderbilt's going to get somebody just like they did last year. So you better be up for uh, for them. The South Carolina game on October 21st is is interesting because it's at it's in between the Kentucky and Georgia games. That's at home. You better be up for that one. But I'm going to go off the board here with Missouri, really. Cuz they're gonna going to say Memphis. I I'm going to say Memphis.
1: That's what I said too.
0: They are going to lose to Kansas State in my opinion at home in week 3. And and then they know they've got like all SEC games the rest of the way. You got to be if they if they don't if they don't refocus quickly on memphis now if they lose to kansas state then they then you overlook you probably don't overlook memphis if you no. beat kansas state then you might overlook memphis so maybe that's maybe that's more appropriate i think
1: that's what it, yeah i think that's exactly what it is if you if you beat kansas state you're like okay well you know or sorry did you say lo- you just said lose to kansas if state. you
0: lose to kansas state, kansas I, state yeah. then you then you probably don't overlook memphis if you beat Kansas State, which I which I think will be an upset at home, you're like, we, oh yeah,
1: three and and0 We got Memphis next week, four and and0 Then we got Vandy. We should win that B- one, five and And then bingo. then we can start concentrating on LSU. Bingo. And then all of a sudden your schedule goes from you, what should yeah. be four and to two and two. Bingo. Yeah, bingo. I'm with you. Yeah, I put Memphis too.
0: Uh, Ole Miss. I think you can make the case for Arkansas, which is at home between LSU and Auburn. I think you can make the case for Vanderbilt, which is always a crazy bonkers ass game uh between auburn and AM. but the one is it's clearly two lane i just don't know if two two lanes the highest rated group of five team you're on the road it's week two i just i think it's to, almost too high profile in a weird I think way it's too
1: high profile i think you know you need to be three and O going into bama and i don't think anything gets overlooked because of the order of that schedule
0: yeah that's probably fair and then,
1: um, but I, I put Vanderbilt, I mean, I, I see yeah, what you're that's, saying that's about totally Tulane true. because I don't think that's like talent or ability wise completely out of the question, but I don't think anyone goes, I think, you know, you need to be three, and going into Alabama if you're Ole Miss and then Vanderbilt, I've seen it in person on TV, my whole life doesn't yep. matter how good or bad they always play to each other's level. And then something crazy often happens. So I right. put them.
0: It's funny. I wrote down Tulane like definitively at first. And then I was like, you know what? Tulane might be ranked ahead of Ole Miss.
1: <laughs> it is with, if it wasn't in that order, I, w- I would say that it's true. Like if it,
0: I mean like in the top 25 rankings, like Tulane could be like number 21 oh, and Ole you're Miss could saying. be 24. Like they might not, Ole Miss, yeah. like Tulane could be ranked higher and they're at home. So like, how can that be a, how can that be a trap game? If you're playing against the team on the road, that's ranked ahead of you. Like, I don't. That, that's yeah,
1: habit. A, We're just not used to that.
0: Not really attractive. Tulane's very good. Uh, South Carolina, what you got?
1: South Carolina. Let's see. What did I put? I feel like I had trouble with this one too because they are. I put Mississippi. South I put
0: Mississippi State down. I which put is, which is week three
1: because they're in between Georgia and Tennessee.
0: It's week four after Georgia, heading into Tennessee. You're at home. If you you know you're probably coming off a loss to Georgia, but you still know that Tennessee's the bigger game maybe you lose to Mississippi state. And then I have got Kentucky on there as well, which is later in the year, uh, second to last game of the season. It's your last sec game. You got you got Clemson the following week. You've kind of put it on there for Kentucky. I think you could put it on there for South Carolina as well.
1: To me, I, I don't think there's really a trap game. I feel like the South Carolina team goes into every single, I mean, I think with if for some reason, you know, you got a little too cocky at the beginning of the season, but I think as soon as you get through potentially a loss to Georgia because they're playing at Georgia.
0: It brings you back down to earth real fast.
1: Yeah, and I I just don't see, I guess not only because the way the program is run and the hype and the focus week yep. to week. Yep. I just don't see this team overlooking anybody. I think they are scrappy. They know that they have to be at their very best, like not turning the ball over executing fully in order to like win some of these middle tier games. I just don't think I don't might, see South Carolina have... being subject to a trap. I'm not saying they're not going to lose. They're definitely going to lose games, but I don't think they're going to overlook any.
0: No, that, I mean, that's fair. It's just a credit to the coaching staff. I think, I mean, they w- did they overlook Florida last year? Probably. I mean, they, they probably yeah, did. I mean, Florida, true. Florida beat them to, to death there. Um, All right. Tennessee, I would say, so I've got the Florida game written down with a question mark, but like it's too big of a game and they've like won in Gainesville, like one time in 25 years. So I I think that one is circled and like highlighted and underlined. So I don't think you can overlook Florida Um, at Kentucky. I think they absolutely will overlook Kentucky. You're going to, you're going to play Bam on the road. Then you got to play Kentucky. I think you could also circle the Missouri game as well. There, there, I think there's more than a few overlooked games for Tennessee. I think there's some trap games all up and down their schedule this year.
1: So Missouri is nestled between UConn and Georgia. So maybe you're looking ahead to Georgia, but at that point, Bingo. so God, that one's hard too. I mean, I think if you, if the beginning of the season goes really well for Tennessee and you can, you know, and you go Virgin, you, I'm not saying Virginia is a gimme <laughs> at all, but like if you beat Virginia, uh, you beat. Austin Ver- they're, they're a
0: 27 point favorite over Virginia.
1: Okay, so Virginia, Peay, Florida.
0: You know what? The one that could be is UTS- Car- UTSA. See, U- I don't.
1: I'm gonna be honest. I don't know enough about that program. To U- that.
0: UTSA is a top 35 team in America. They are if they are four zero and they beat Florida and they come off that win to Florida, they're gonna come back home knowing that the revenge game is is next against South Carolina because that you cannot put the South Carolina game as a trap game. They have I know one.
1: because I would if it ha- if what happened last year hadn't exactly. happened. I would say that that was it because they're exactly. like, "Oh, sick. We're 5 and 0. We're going to go to A&M, That You're you,
0: you going you go to play Fl- AM. You go to Florida September 16th and you win the game in Florida for the first time in like 30 years and you come back and you know South Carolina's next. You will overlook UTSA and that is a very Frank Harris is a really good quarterback. Jeff Trailer is a really good coach. That is a top thirty-five group of five. Like, like they are a. They that's are the ba- move.
1: I think you answered your own I, question I, I think yeah. if it way to go, it, <laughs> it would be South Carolina if there wasn't the history of what just happened. And it, I would say they're going to think they're going five and zero and go to a And M. But you're right because of what happened last year. I think UTSA is a good move. I just didn't know enough about that program to be able to say that. But if you're and, saying they're top thirty-five, no,
0: and that's true. And I, I and I'm. I I have said all season that they're going to lose to AM. So it's hard for me to call it a trap game, but AM is absolutely a trap game. Bama on the road, Kentucky on the road, the two games after that. I am absolutely calling the AM loss for Tennessee. So okay. I guess that's technically a trap game as well. Uh Texas AM. We got to move along here. Texas AM, yeah, um, I have Auburn written down at home September twenty third. It's Hugh Freeze's first SEC game in return. It's Bobby Petrino's first SEC game in return. So maybe there's too much hype around it. But they've got Arkansas and Bama and Tennessee the three weeks following. I, I nothing on this schedule is really trap-ish. I don't know, South Carolina maybe at home after the Tennessee game? I, I don't know. Like if you go on the road and you beat Tennessee and you're AM, you come home and you host South Carolina, you're probably a heavy favorite. You could absolutely overlook South Carolina. So that South Carolina game at home is dangerous. I think the Auburn game at home is dangerous and Maybe the Mississippi State game, but I don't know. I don't know.
1: I think there's a lot of dangerous games, but again, just because of the way this schedule falls, like you could say if there wasn't a history between Arkansas and Texas A and M, and Texas AM really lived up to their full potential and they had a really good first four games, but also you still have Miami in there. So like let's not get ahead of ourselves. But right. if you go right. New Mexico, Miami, you know, ULM, and then you and then you beat off Auburn. If you, you did, didn't have you did it, what's did, Auburn? It,
0: oh shit oh we're absolutely leaving that in that's
1: fine i don't really care (laughs) you defeat you victoriously defeat auburn (laughs) that wasn't great so that if you're four if you any honestly at this point what am i i have nothing to lose but if you don't have the history with arkansas that you have that game if it was in arkansas could be it if they don't have the history that texas and am and arkansas have before you play Bama, but you're not overlooking Arkansas because it's Arkansas. Arkansas
0: is huge. Arkansas is huge game. That's right. a, that's a rivalry. For yeah.
1: some people that aren't and I don't
0: Ar- know. Arkansas would be a perfect trap game before Bama if it wasn't A&M.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, I agree. You said
1: that much more saintly than I did.
0: Well, you're just trying to beat off people. It's fine. Uh, at, at Tennessee, if they, Do what beat, it takes. if they beat the Volunteers, <laughs> if A&M beats the Volunteers, that's where South Carolina becomes a huge letdown trap game. Agreed. Because they could be flying high coming back from Knoxville. All of a sudden, they're playing a team that they don't think is all that great. They're probably a heavy favorite, and South Carolina beats them. Uh, Vanderbilt, uh, I I actually have UNLV week four as a trap game because Vanderbilt cannot overlook anybody. But UNLV on the road in Vegas against former SEC head coach Barry Odom, who's now the head coach at UNLV. I you know, that's a tricky one, man. And so they can't overlook UNLV. So that's my only trap game. There's no (laughs) trap. Yeah, there's none. There's
1: no trap game for Vanderbilt. I literally wrote no trap game. I I, you know, if all the all the kids are in Vegas party. Momentum really matters when there aren't trap games. So, like if the season, if Vanderbilt loses game, One, two, three—all three. There's no trap games the rest of the season. If you win the first three, and then you have UNLV, and you you get Kentucky after that, and you're thinking about being five and zero, like that mentality of momentum goes further than people think it does. But there's no trap game for Vanderbilt. Anything is a gift from God. (laughs) You know, just like there,
0: there you have it. There you have it. Those are our trap games in 2023. That was long-winded of us today. Hey, it's a good episode, man, and it gets better because here was our conversation, our Kentucky State of the Union. We talked about not just football, but also Mitch Barnhart, the athletic director, John Calipari, the future of the program, all kinds of stuff, including the offensive line, the new court, the new offense and the new coordinator. We did all of that with the athletics, Kyle Tucker. Kyle, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Great, man. How are you? I'm always doing wonderful. We are still a couple of weeks away from talking season, so I have some time to sleep, which is great. Um, I, I wanted to start with just the general sense of the football program from a thousand, ten thousand feet. They win ten games. Uh, some a lot of changes happen on the offense. Will Levis comes back. They don't win ten games, but they bring back the coordinator. Just in general, your percept perspective of where this football program is now really deep into Mark Stoops tenure.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, 10 years into this thing, um, he has, uh, built something where, you know, you, you've won 10 games two times in three years, you know, after, after the, uh, 2022 season, which he's only done once, or they hadn't done in 40 years, I should say. They'd only done once in their history and they hadn't done it in in 40 years. And they've done it, you know, you do it twice in three years and then people are kind of grumbling last year <laughs> when they when they can't back it up. And you know, there were a lot of reasons for that. Um, there were a lot of high hopes when, when a guy like Will Levis comes back, obviously. Um, but the offensive line for the first time in a long time, like, you know, Stoops really built that thing through the trenches. Offensive and defensive line in his tenure have have been better you know, upper, upper tier sec level better than anyone ever thought you could do at Kentucky. Um, and they finally took a dip there last year and that was brutal for them because, you know, your, your best piece is this guy who, you know, Will Levis first round pick. Well, almost for, I guess, first pick of the second round as it turned out, um, you know, and you can't protect him and he gets beat up and I think he gets a little trigger, you know, shy and a lot of things happen there. um, yeah. You know, also, you lose Liam Cohen, who was his. They got the offensive coordinator that brought him in, the guy who he was really comfortable with. And you try. You know, Stoops tried really hard for continuity, going and get uh, Scangarello from the 49ers, at least in that same tree of coaches. Right. But it was different. It was clear that Scangarello wasn't nearly the play caller that that um, Cohen was, and it just between that and the offensive line, it all kind of fell apart. But I would say what's really impressive about Stoops, one, the the longevity, you know, to continue winning at Kentucky and stay there. Um, two is his adaptability. You know, I think he has, um, you know, when they when the offense was really struggling in the passing game, that was kind of the storyline forever. Like they can't get a quarterback, they can't throw the ball, and then they bring in Levis and Cohen, and and, and that changes because he knew that had to happen. You know, he'd hit a little bit of a dip um and then last season happened and he didn't stand pat he one year in he gone the offensive coordinator's gone uh he brings going back which was a pretty huge move uh from the NFL um and then you know all the basically every area that they needed to add they they went and added they really uh, you know they've basically done what John Calipari and the basketball team have completely failed to do they they attacked the transfer portal and got better i mean immediately you go get the best available quarterback Devin Leary from NC state, you get one of the three or four best available running backs, the kid from Vanderbilt, thousand yard rusher in the sec. You, and you load up on offensive linemen, you know, quality offensive linemen, you know, kids from Alabama and you know West Virginia and Ohio state, like big time, you know, high school recruits who were at big time programs. Um, and you address those needs. You go get a, a starting tackle who started 30 some games um, in Northern Illinois. Like basically you say, these were our needs. Check, 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 check. Yep. Get get a better coordinator, get a better line, replace Will Levis, get him some weapons. And all those things have happened. And, and so we're in this place now where Kentucky football, again, their fan base goes into a season with, you know, beyond any reasonable belief in the past expectations.
0: I, I want to get to some of the details of the roster. I mean, you've already addressed a lot of them there. I think the offensive line, is it better with all the returning talent and then all the influx? I think we're only going to know like when we know, like when it happens. Um, but I'm curious like strategically about a program like Kentucky on how it uses the portal. It feels like Mark Stoops has sort of carved out this kind of middle space. It's not Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, like wholesale changes every year, 25, 30 guys. It's not Kirby Smart grabbing a single guy. It's sort of this middle ground. We're, we're going to have our culture. We're going to have our identity and develop guys. But we're going to go out and find a couple of pieces every now and then to fill some holes. Do you feel like that's the right place for Kentucky? A program like Kentucky is to be in that middle ground or do they need to take bigger swings or fewer swings? Like
2: I know he's an, I I know he's an Iowa guy and that's that's sort of where he's at, but like, is that the right place? I'm not sure they could really take bigger swings. You know I mean? Like they, they, you know, they kind of are where they are in the pecking order of like acquiring talent, but they've recruited high school talent better than ever. You know, that, from the day from day one under Mark Soups, and they've maintained that. You know, they're yeah. getting the the high four star kids at a rate that they'd never really gotten them before. And I think ideally, he'd like to mostly recruit and develop. You know, I, I think, and I think most coaches would even now. Um, but you know, there are some positions where, like, the nice thing for college basketball now is, in the past, if you whiffed on a couple of offensive line classes and you had the stinker of an offensive line like last year. What are you gonna do? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you're just gonna have to take two or three years and rebuild it. There is no free agency. Well, now there is. Now, if like, okay, we're, we feel pretty good about developing three of the five spots, but these other ones we just don't know. You can go get two quality players. You know, maybe game changers, but at minimum, you're not gonna get your quarterback killed again. Kind of players, uh, which they've done. And, and then two, I think Stoops has also realized what I think a lot of people have realized, and that is. Uh, you know, getting a when you're Kentucky, getting a, a game changing quarterback out of high school, you may not do that. Like you're not you may not sign the five star kid and, you know, and yeah. ever see, you know, play to fruition. But because, you know, these powerhouse programs are recruiting, you know, uh, three or four of them at a time. And then, you know, the transfer portal happens and some guy doesn't want to sit on the bench, you can go get right. a quality player um, that the transfer portal is a great option to get a good a good to very good quarterback. Um and that, you know I think that this is now the I mean basically every quarterback they've had under Stoops that's been any good was a transfer. Even before the you know wide open transfer portal they did it sort of the traditional way. Um and you know these last two I think Levis and Leary are you know big swings I mean, they kind of put those were the first priority in each of those sort of off seasons like to go get the quarterback and then figure everything else out and uh, too, when you go get that quarterback, it becomes a little easier to recruit the other pieces. I think you know, the running back wants to play with the quarterback, and the offensive line want to come play with you know, a game changing QB.
0: It, it it's weird. Like I don't have a lot of questions about the offense outside of the offensive line because I think Stoops has this really nice blend of like recruit and develop, and then like be selective with who I go get in the portal. But at the important position, like the receiving core, I have no questions about. You already mentioned Ray Davis. I, I think Devin Leary's great. I think Liam Combs great. Uh, on the defense, uh, you know they've recruited so well, and it's Mark Stoops' baby. Uh, do, where are the, where are the question marks? Is it corner? I feel like they're pretty good up the middle. How yeah. how how good can this defense be relative to 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 Mark Stoops' defenses in the past?
2: I think it could be really good. I, you know, I. I corner I think is is always a question mark um, or has been recently for them just because they they kind of struck out on some guys and they've had to add they've added through transfer portal and things like that but they've also gone out here in the last couple of classes and added some high you know high level recruits I think they feel pretty good about what they have the, the defensive line and linebacker is an area where they've recruited really really well where they've gone I mean like Trevin Wallace was a top 100 kid out of Georgia who they signed and is now going to be a junior. Um, you know, JJ Weaver was in their backyard, a four-star kid and Keaton, the, the Wade twins were hit from right here where we are in Nashville, um, in the talent raid a couple years ago that they made on Nashville. They, you know, they signed the, the, the Wade twins who are, uh, you know, two big, strong, you know, six four, two 240 pound, uh, uh, athletes. They got Barry on Brown at wide receiver out of, out of Nashville. Um, and so they, they have, um, they've done a really good job in that front seven, of stockpiling talent and and letting it age. I mean, they've got now juniors, you know, redshirt sophomores and juniors and seniors who were four and five star, you know, caliber guys. Um and and I think they expect all those guys to be, you know, big time. The back end I guess is probably the question mark, but I, I never yeah. feel terribly worried about their secondary with Stoops because that's such a specialty for him. I mean, he is the sort of the the, the defensive back guru on that staff and then with the defensive coordinator Brad White you know, to me, he's a head coach. He's a future head. Both are coordinators to me. Um, And that's, uh, you know, I'm kind of all over the place here, but when we are talking about big picture with Stoops, one of the most impressive things he's done is hiring staff. And he currently has two coordinators, Liam Cohen and Brad White that I think are both future head coaches. And they are, you know, they're great in front of a camera. They are uh, clearly really good teachers. Um, Brad White has developed so many guys. I mean, when you think about what he did with Josh Allen and then, you know, uh, Pascal and all the guys that that came through there and turned into pros, um, you know, Josh Allen was a two star, a two star recruit uh, who ended up being a top ten yep. pick, and and, um, and he just continually develops those guys. So you have to, I think you you just kind of almost got to a point, which again, a little crazy with Kentucky football, where you just expect a certain level of competence uh, defensively because that guy's in charge. I mean, even the guys he's fired have gone on to have pretty good jobs uh, out there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and, and he's uh, not a, again. He's not afraid to fire somebody. Right. That, right. You know, he, he make he makes changes, and and then he's also kept good people. That's also impressive.
0: It is is eight and four are okay with people this year? I mean, that's a step forward. Are they yeah. better than South Carolina and Tennessee? I, I honestly don't know. To be to be clear.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it should be right. I mean, I I think eight and four would be a a fine season for them. I I would guess that most of the fans would tell you that like nine and three or better is like their 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 definition of success. Um, And that's another, you know, they're without a doubt, the bar has been raised. I mean, I covered this program when Joker Phillips was, you know, his last two years. And when the, you know, the day he was fired and they're two and 11 and there's 18,000 people at the Vanderbilt game in a 70,000 seat stadium. um, I mean, everybody you talked to said, just get me a coach who will win seven games and go to a bowl game every year and I'll be happy for the rest of my life. That is not true anymore. It's not, (laughs) you know, now that happens and people are like, what are we paying this guy for? (laughs) They've been to seven, seven consecutive bowl games. They've won what four of those bowl? Games. I think they won three or four in a row. It's like won ten games twice. Won New Year's Day bowl games against Big Ten opponents twice. You know, you yeah. beat Penn State in a major bowl game. You yeah. beat Iowa in a major bowl game. Um, and people are, you know, but if they go seven and six, people are, what are we paying this guy for? Right. Right. <laughs> and so I think that even that that in and of itself, I think tells you what he's built that he has significantly raise the bar on what's acceptable
0: all right go go with me on a on a journey here for a second um so we've got all the new scheduling coming up we know kentucky's sort of spearheading the eight game conference movement um to some degree you know we know what the the potential permanent rivals could be which i'm assuming kentucky fans don't love the idea of you know georgia south carolina and mississippi state no florida no tennessee uh, in that group, um, you've got this, you know, this kind of a much to do about nothing conflict between Stoops and Calipari in the offseason. But you do have sort of Mitch Barnhart and Kentucky slow on the uptick with NIL. Great work on the facilities and the stadium and and the job they've done there. Um, now they're going to sell beer. All right. that Now we're now we're selling beer, which is a great first big step. W- where are the fans on sort of Mitch Barnhart and like the structure of the athletic department as a whole? Like what? are people excited about the general trajectory? Do they trust him to handle all of that? Are there questions like where give us an, a yeah. sense of where that's all at?
2: It's hard to say because Twitter is not real life and I I interact with so many people on Twitter, you know. But <laughs> me too. I, me I too. There, I, I think there is a um there's definitely a faction of people that are just kind of over barnhart because they think he's like too old school. You know, and, and you know, you're going to have that. I think in any situation where somebody's like really, you know, very level-headed and even keeled, and let's take let's dip our toes in here and let's let's slowly approach. Let's figure this out. And there's an an inordinate amount of wisdom in that approach, it, generally speaking. However, college sports are moving at they're evolving, not just moving, but evolving at at like warp speed. There's something changing every day, and you know I can certainly see both sides of of. This situation where from from Barnhart's perspective, it's let's move slowly and let's have integrity and let's not let's not push the boundaries because who knows what the NCAA will eventually say is okay. But people that are frustrated would say they haven't done anything to anybody about any of this. And they've essentially declared this the wild west so why don't we have our six shooters <laughs> you know it's like why are we just galloping our horse when when like Alabama's riding in with two shotguns you know like yeah. um if, if this is the wild west why why haven't we drawn our pistol <laughs> type <laughs> of thing and and I get that too I mean because so many schools have just said okay well if the NCA is going to be you know um they're if they're gonna be slow to move and if they're going to sort of keep kicking the can down the road. And so, Oh, we need federal help, you know, which is an absurd thing to do. Um, Then we're just going to, we're just going to play fast and loose. We're going to, we're going to throw up this, we're going to throw up this uh, collective and we're going to pump millions of dollars into it. And we're basically going to do pay for play because that's, I mean, everybody can act like it's not what it is, but it is what it is. Um, And so I think that there's, there's a, a large amount of the fan base that are in that camp of like, okay, understand what you're saying, but we're getting left behind. And, you know, but then I think there are people, I I would say probably that skew a little older, um, that are a little, that they're, they're a little more in Mitch Barnhart's own demographic who would say like, you know, I'm glad we're trying to do it the right way. I appreciate him for all the things that he has built. Like if you, If you drive that campus, if you drive that alumni drive now in Lexington, I moved there in 2011 and it was nothing to see. I was so depressed the day that I drove in. I took that job and drove into Lexington and pulled up to the football stadium. I was like, because I had covered Virginia Tech for a long time and they had done all these beautiful, you know, it's a beautiful campus in a beautiful setting. And and Commonwealth Stadium, now Kroger Field, was an absolute dump you know, in all their facilities, their football practice facility was gross and old. And like, it was just depressing. It looked like a, it looked like a, you know, as, as the kids say, poverty program. Right. And now you drive that, you know, you drive that, alumni drive and there's a beautiful new soccer complex and there's a beautiful new baseball stadium. And they just came, you know, a couple wins away from going to the college world series and the, the softball stadium. And they, they've been to a world series and the football stadium is now up to par and a $50 million new practice facility. And then Stoops just strong arm them into redoing the, uh, the indoor facility. So like everything that a real sec contender has, they have now. They pay their coaches like real SEC contenders. Now their coordinators are, you know, multimillionaires. There are people that really appreciate that he's done all of those things, but now it's like, okay, either you're, you're with us for the evolution or we thank you and we build you up. You know, we name something after you and you hand it off to somebody that's ready to do the, get their hands dirty and, in whatever. And I don't even mean like dirty, like,
0: Right, right. I know what you mean. I
2: just mean, there's going to be a lot of things that you have to dig into and figure yeah. out. I mean, that that I think we've seen athletic directors and coaches get driven out of the business recently because they don't want to deal with it. And and I think we might be at that crossroads with Mitch Barnhart. Does he want to deal with it or not? If not, you know, you know, maybe maybe it is time to to, to get a new visionary. Man, there, there sure is a lot
0: of positive on the ledger, though. That's that's for sure. Um, all right. Well, then where where does John Calipari fit into that? process if it's if we're at a crossroads with mitch barnhart and we're at a crossroads with what are we going to be as a program kentucky basketball with the talent that they have had for the last 15 years uh, one one national championship probably isn't good enough so we're Where are we on? How does he factor into all of this?
2: He's at a crossroads. I would say he and Barnhart are at a crossroads with each other. You know, I would describe their relationship over the last couple of years as sort of a cold war where they just don't really interact. And I think that's unhealthy that the athletic director and the men's basketball coach at Kentucky, your flagship program, don't really have a great relationship, if one at all. Um, You know, and, and they'll they'll say, oh, it's fine. And, you know, whatever. But. It's not <laughs> it's not warm and fuzzy. they don't talk all the time they don't I, I don't think they're necessarily on the same page um you know, and Cal enters he's kind of got them by the uh scruff of the neck, we'll say yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> with this contract that he signed in 2019 where you know it was 10 years 86 million dollars basically fully guaranteed. I think they they owe him 75 percent of the remainder of the contract at any point if he's terminated. Um, you know, would have been 40 some million if they tried to fire him after this past year, it'll be down to about 31 million next year. Um, what are they going to, you know, if they don't make the tournament or they don't get to the second weekend again at Kentucky going four years, four tournaments without making the second weekend at the university of Kentucky is beyond unacceptable. Yeah. Especially when you just brought, you bringing in the number one recruiting class, you've now what seems like made an active choice to, to just go young. They're going to have at least seven, maybe eight freshmen, two sophomores at the moment, no other junior, no juniors or seniors in an era where everybody in college basketball is old. They're all seniors and six year seniors. They didn't sign anybody in the, to this point in the transfer portal. And they're going to lean into this number one recruiting class of freshmen. Like it's, you know, 2012 all over again, And if that blows up in his face and they fail, I I mean, it's going to, there will be a, it will be a a bonafide crossroads at that point. I mean, it will be, I think a real question that Mitch Barnhart will have to answer. Like, is it worth finding $30 million to make this guy go away? And I don't know how you don't, if they don't win big this year. That's wild. That is a wild thing to think about considering
0: all the success uh, he has had, but I'd be lying to you if I, said, I was shocked that we are here um, in this situation with John Calipari. Um, All right. Hey, Kyle, thank you so much, man. We appreciate your time. Always love talking with you. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. Pay for good journalism, of course. Uh, Go support all the great folks over there at The Athletic. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Thank
2: you. Appreciate you.
0: That was Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. We only have one more team left in our State of the Union series. That will be the Vanderbilt Commodores, of course, coming up next week. Uh, on the show we do appreciate kyle for joining us we do indeed yes yes we do i thought you
1: were gonna say something after that
0: no i'm just resting my voice because of all the partying this weekend so um Um, can you tell me
1: about your partying in 30 seconds we have to get on a call for a meeting i
0: saw honey mukhtar score a hat trick i went go i I went go-kart racing but my wife kicked me out of the house basically and said you and your buddy go stay at this airbnb and uh just, just blow off some steam you don't have to wake up with the kids it's on sunday morning i said okay so i did a lot of yelling and we had some construction at the house and the allergies and like now i'm sick and so I, i'm paying for it on the back end but it was quite a fun it's quite a fun night at Geotis park here yeah i was Greenfield, there so i was uh, there thanks for reaching then, out Do appreciate then
1: Mukhtar just casually got in the elevator at my apartment building after and was just going up to his
0: apartment <laughs> <laughs> he lives in your apartment building honey Mukhtar does That's incredible. That's amazing. My daughters love Honey Mukhtar. They, in fact, don't even separate the names. It's just one name. Honey Mukhtar. So uh, other than that, go Nashville SC. No, they they love the boys in gold. Go Nashville SC. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. We do appreciate Kyle Tucker as well. For Aaron Dugan, I am Braden Gall. Thank you for listening. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network.
1: Later.